Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas, and this is our Wednesday show, where we niche down into a single topic, think about a question, and unpack the rest. This week, we're asking, what can startups learn from the rise and now struggles of Hopin? And for companies that grew like a weed, what's next as we see a recorrection jump all over startup land? As always, I am joined by Alex. Alex, how are you hopping along this morning? Oh, I'm bouncing like a a bunny on uppers is how I feel. Um, That's mostly because it's like negative a thousand degrees where I currently am. So I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt. Uh, I noticed. It's different. You look great. Thank you. Yeah. No, but it, it's a moment of transition for for the seasons for the startup market, and it's uh it's also kind of a sad day. This is this is not going to be the happiest show we've ever recorded. Definitely not. But it's going to be an interesting one. We're going to start by talking about Hopin's layoffs and how that contrasts with their growth story. Alex has been covering them since their seed, so we're talking fundraising. We're talking ARR. Then we'll get into like what happened. Why are they having layoffs today? And what can other startups think about in this moment? I'm especially excited to talk to you, obviously, this week about Hopin. Last week, it reported that they cut 12% of their staff. And you have been covering the company before it was the Hopin we all know and have really applauded for the past year. It was the kind of story that I wanted to talk to you about on Friday, but I'm glad we've waited till Wednesday to talk about. Yeah, I mean, Hopin has been uh, a fixture of the show since really early 2020. I mean, talk about a company at the right place at the right time. Hopin actually raised its first pre-seed round in October of 2019. And I bet every investor from that round has been busy high-fiving themselves ever since because they wrote the right check to the right company at the exact right moment. Because quickly from there, Natasha, the company raised all the money in the world. A five million pound seed round in February of 2020, right before the pandemic really began to crunch outside of China. From there, 40 million June 2020, 125 million November 2020. This is when I was talking to Johnny from Hoppin like every other week, it felt like. And then a Series C in March of 21, 400 million dollars. But the company was not done yet. They had (laughs) one more nine figure round to do. And that was in August 2021 round of 450 million dollars. So they raised around a billion dollars in about 17 minutes. Jesus Christ. I mean, yes, I know. I I mean, we notoriously on the podcast called it at the time, the fastest growth story of this era beyond the capital raises that we were seeing in the overall fundraising market at the time. Hoppin's back to back raises were just kind of too absurd to miss. And they were bringing on some like serious heavyweight investors. It was not even just the same investors re-leading and re-betting. I mean, it started with Axel and then it added IVP, Tiger, A16Z, GC. So many people. Yeah, the the Excel round, I think, is probably the one that's the most impressive to me because they did put in that capital in the seed before the pandemic came. And again, like, you know, the rich get richer, but like, I bet they're feeling pretty good about that one. And then IVP letter co-led three, but then you're right. It's Tiger, Andreessen, General Catalyst, Altimeter, and Arena Holdings, an array of companies taking the lead position here, which goes to show just how much capital is currently riding on Hopin, weathering the current storm, getting through this moment and kind of like making it out of the, the, the trough they might be finding themselves in. Totally, totally. And, you know, you wrote that story one year ago that they were most recently known at a $5.6 billion valuation. I want to take a second to talk about that last round because it seems like Hoppin's founder, Johnny, at the time noted that they were planning on being operationally IPO ready this year, 2022, or next, 2023. The thing is, Hoppin grew quickly, not just in financing terms, but also in revenue terms. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about it as this growth story, Natasha, we were really t- kind of trying to hit on two things at once. One was the capital flowing 
flowing in from investors and the other was the revenue flowing in from customers. At this point, let's go ahead and just say TechCrunch is a hop in customer. Um, yes. It, it doesn't impact our view of the company whatsoever. Uh, I, We might be paying them a dollar. It might be a bajillion dollars. We don't know. That's far from us. But we wanted to go ahead and just say that we are a hop in customer. And if you watch Equity Live every other Thursday hey, hey. when we tape, it is also on hop in and other platforms as well. But we've been using them. And uh, that's actually, I think, partially why we had an early you know, focus on them because we realized that like we had this need. We were using this tech. Other people were. It was kind of like an, our own early radar, if you will. Definitely. And honestly, there's rare times where I'm like a heavy user of a startup that we talk about. As much as I want to know every startup, like it just doesn't make sense all the time. So it's been interesting to see how TechCrunch and we held Disrupt on Hopin. That is our biggest event of the year. And it seems like we're going to continue to. That should just give a sense of scale for how big of a deal this company was, even for us. Well, I, I would say still is. I think the question is not like is Hopin getting smaller per se, but how much more can it grow? The reason why we asked that is it grew so quickly. So the company, when it raised in November of 2020, had around 20 million in ARR. And then the company grew to, I think, around 70 million ARR by the time it raised its last round. And so like in part of that's from acquisitions and so forth, like the company really went from seed stage startup to nearly IPO scale in revenue terms. And I think the fastest time period I've ever seen. I think Slack is the other kind of company people talk about in terms of rapid scaling. But Hopin was just vertical in terms of accreting annual recurring revenue or ARR, the kind of the, the gold that software companies generate. And it was impressive to watch. And what was cool was the CEO, Johnny, was willing to share numbers along the way, which was Definitely. great because it meant that we knew that the company wasn't bullshit. Like it was, it made me care more because I knew that investors were buying a serious business versus options on future revenues, really. So. And seeing those numbers, to me, it's not surprising that they were had a really aggressive 2021. They notoriously bought five companies in 2021. I'll just list them off really quickly. They got Attendify, Boomset, Jam, Streamable and StreamYard. And I think StreamYard was the only acquisition in which they actually disclosed the price at $250 million. I think you noted, Alex, that they paid around 10% of its current value for StreamYard. Hopin, last year at least, was betting their future on their ability to diversify through acquisitions. Diversify and also strengthen. I think that that deal had two main components to it. One was it bought a product that had a set chunk of revenue. So StreamYard already had, I think it was... Oh man, 20 or 30 million ARR somewhere in there. So a, a serious amount of, of scale to it. But what Johnny told me at the time was that Hopin customers were already using StreamYard, if I recall correctly. And so mm -hmm. they were going to bring this product on, make it the default video streaming option for the service and let customers kind of keep using it by itself if they wanted to. And I, I liked that. I thought it was a pretty cool idea. If your stock is hot, you got a lot of cash, stack on some ARR, have some diversity in the business, uh, support your customers better. It doesn't seem to be a, a poor choice, but I think if you buy five companies in a single year, you might not be as great at executing on any particular integration that you might want to do. And so I, I wonder if some of the stuff leading up to the layoffs of the business during this epic boom time was essentially just doing too much, too quickly. I think we saw that with Roe, like they acquired three companies in the span of 12 months. And a lot of the issues came from the fact that Roe, it was throwing a lot of balls in different areas and not really catching them. It was just kind of like rapid fire <laughs> spending money. It's a common story, but it, it is one that I think Hoppin had a little bit more proof than the average company that maybe it made sense to be more aggressive. It's a pandemic after all. And I think it contrasts with something we saw like Peloton, which we talked about a few weeks ago, which signed a 20 year lease on an in-person office building. And so to prep for this, I was going back through 
actually a post from LinkedIn. I was reading a digest of LinkedIn posts aggregated by LinkedIn's news team that cited your article, Natasha, actually. Um, So that's where some of your traffic came from. It was LinkedIn. Let's go. Oh yeah. What's up? Thanks LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, But I was just reading through the the list of employees who kind of like said, Hey, you know, I was part of this hop and layoff, which was Natasha, it was 12%. And how many employees was it total? I forget like 180. They cut 138 employees, 12% of their staff, as well as contractors and some other roles. Also their CMO left, but that appears to be more out of choice. It just happened the day after the layoff. So feels noteworthy to include there too. But the people who did get laid off were, it appears to be like recruiters, salespeople, the roles that you add on when you're dealing with hyperscale in terms of business growth or personnel growth. And so to see those roles get cut as they kind of trim the organization, if you will, perhaps readjust. I don't, I don't know what the proper phrase here is. I don't want to be overly euphemistic because it's people we're talking about, yeah, but I don't want to yeah. be overly censorious either in the middle. So I'm not shocked that they managed to find 12% to cut or whatever it is. It's a perfect transition because I think, you know, we obviously now just spend some time talking about how much they raised, them being this fast growth story and acquiring five companies that made a lot of sense. I feel like Hoppin was kind of protecting itself from answering the question we've all been wondering about what's going to happen post pandemic. But the layoffs, I think really like gave this data point is worth chatting about. In a leaked Slack message, the co-founder wrote that they are laying off people to become more efficient while trying to ensure that they have the quote-unquote required financial discipline and organizational rigor. He also kind of confirmed what we're talking about, Alex, which is like that some of these acquisitions made them a little bit unbuttoned. The layoffs were partly to, as he said, quote, solve overlaps and duplications that crept into the business. And he called out the rapid growth and acquisitions by name as part of the reorg. So I think like if we're going to paraphrase what he said when he laid off these people, it's that they had a lot of growth. Things have changed and now they are trying to clean things up. Absolutely. I mean, like, you know, when people are arriving at the house you know, to the party with bottles in their hand, you don't think too much about capacity. And then someone gets a bottle cracked over their head and all of a sudden you notice the room's a little bit crowded. This is my party. This is my party (laughs) analogy. Um, And (laughs) metaphor, I don't know. Um, And so essentially, if you buy a bunch of companies, you're going to have duplicate HR departments. You're going to have duplicate sales departments, duplicate operations departments, duplicate DevOps maybe. I mean, my gosh. And so if you're working quickly, you just like buy a company, begin to integrate it, and you don't probably deploy all of your operational acumen to making sure it's fully integrated because you're busy with the next deal. And so you end up with fat in the organization that you can trim off, especially if your growth is slowing, which we kind of presume that it is in this uh, where where the fuck are we? Middle middle post pandemic, early, early post pandemic, late pandemic chapter like 17 million it sucks to be like this in the still ongoing pandemic yeah. every story i write about the damn thing <laughs> it's but it's no longer unprecedented times because it's been going on for two years so in these yeah. crappy precedents, I, I don't know anyways where we are today when people are going out people are still dying at the same time growth is going to slow at a company that is tailored towards supporting hybrid and virtual events in a world in which people are beginning to go back out and a data point natasha we're hosting early stage in april yeah. IRL. I'm going to fly to San Francisco for the first time in a thousand yeah. years. So Yeah, it's different. Things are changing for us, for a lot of people. I mean, going back to our core question of like what startups can learn from the rise and now struggles of Hopin is that like even though some of us feel numb during this pandemic, things will continue to change. And I think we're going to need to see in a couple of our shows, the return of startups having much more discipline on how they spend money. It's something like five acquisitions in one year. Didn't feel weird when we were writing about it? <sighs> yeah, to, you're to right. It didn't. And now yeah. it does. Now it feels like a obviously. So I, I'm starting to square away 
not that it's our fault, but I'm talking square away. Like, what is journalist's role in writing about these? Should acquisitions be something that are celebrated ever? Not, not celebrated, but discussed. I mean, we didn't pop we were balloons like, for Hobbit. Yeah, true, true, true. I, I guess like more of like, should acquisitions be looked at as a growth signal always? Or should they be looked at as like, this Hopin's trying a lot of different things right now. Why does it need to acquire five companies? Why can't it do this? Why is it not internal? Companies that don't add five companies in one year are doing great. I mean, so to give people a little bit of a look into our notebook, if you will, Natasha and I were talking about an hour ago before the show, just kind of catching up on ideas and making sure we're on the same page, which we do before pretty much everything that we record together. We were just talking about how like we, we covered Hopin so consistently for so long and then we kind of stopped. Yes. And that should have been more of a data point to us that something had probably gone a little bit amiss. But on the flip side is when Hopin got a little quieter, the rest of the market was still absolutely bonkers. And so I was so busy talking to literally everyone else, it felt like, that I, I missed it. And so now that we're here looking back with, you know, the glory of hindsight and perfect vision, yeah, I'm not surprised that we're here. But I, I really wish that I had thought of this six, eight months ago versus, oh, hop in, laid off people. Now what does that mean? You know, yeah. I feel behind. Already founders weren't preparing for like this once in a lifetime event. But now even the ones that had pandemic product market fit and had the confidence and affirmations from investors, customers and reporters, this was an interesting company onto something. Now they're probably like, wait, do, am I actually onto something? I mean, I think the same question to be a little nice to them, the same question we've been asking them and they've not been answering, which is like, how do you know that this is actually real and not just a pandemic bump is one that they don't have the answer to. And so that feels like something I think a lot of startups are probably insecure about and really thinking over. Well, I think the TechCrunch Hopin example really fits well into what you just said, because we are going to be keeping some, I think, virtual components of our events moving forward. I think that's now kind of part of our overall DNA, because let's be real, TechCrunch is a global audience. What's up, everybody? Hello. Our events tend to be in one place at a time, and that's kind of crappy, because people yeah. are often kind of left out. And especially now with the startup market in the world being popular everywhere, it seems a little ridiculous to demand that people show up to one place. So I suspect that we're going to end up hybrid, which is probably indicative that Hopin's going to be fine, but I don't think it's going to have the same growth that it did. And that's kind of the question about the post-pandemic moment. Not does it go to zero, I don't think. Uh, yes. I, I think some people are expecting that. But more like, what is it like if your growth rate grows from 300% to 50% or to 30%? Are you built for that? Will your team stay? Um, and so, you know, for the post-pandemic moment for these companies that did so well, you know, the food deliveries, the productivity, the remote work companies, anything that kind of like benefited stay at home activities for leisure or work. You know, I mean, the the good times, the boom times are probably done. The question is how much cash do you have left? What's your burn rate? And can you put together venture style growth still in this new world? You know, that's probably one of the biggest questions for 2022 for a lot of companies that aren't public. Something that I'm thinking about on that note is like, didn't we know that events wouldn't stay fully virtual forever? So how did they not prepare for it? And that's less of like a hop in question and more of like any startup that benefited from the pandemic sort of question. They, they proved that new habits can be created and are sticky, but they also knew that there was somewhat somewhat of an asterisk next to all of their growth, didn't they? Yes, but also you. So Hoppin founded before the pandemic had a had a thesis about hybrid events. That's kind of what they were built to do, and all of a sudden their thesis was even more right than they expected. Do do you build your company at that point based on the market affirming what you'd already made a bet on, or do you begin to become conservative and worry about the future? Yes. Now 
you and I, with our risk tolerances, would do that. And that's why we will never build trillion dollar companies. That's so true. This is also why I'd be a terrible investor. I'd be like, let's take money off the table. Let's sell some of these shares now because I'm a big wuss, which is why my money's in index funds. Sam, let's go. Yeah. But if you are a founder, you are already someone with a higher than average risk tolerance because you are making this leap into the, the world of entrepreneurship. And even more, the world is telling you how brilliant you are. The point is you're getting, you're being given money, which backs up your thesis. So why would you become more conservative if you you already have a bent towards risk taking. So I, I'm not shocked that we're here, but for companies who are perhaps not yet where Hoppin is, Natasha, maybe this is a call for some uh, new conservatism. New conservatism, maybe from a spending perspective, but probably not from like a risk taking perspective. Like maybe the same startups that were risky and how aggressive they were being towards growth need to now be risky and just calling it and being like, we're going to chill out. I mean, I think risk is also doing layoffs. It is not a great moment for your company. And you are choosing to lower your ambition in some way, maybe because of investors, maybe because you're struggling to raise. Hoppin hadn't raised in 11 mm -hmm. months, which is wild considering how much they were raising before. So like there were, the, there were these kinds of signals where I'm sure no one wanted to call it, but I think now companies need to call it. So let's talk about what we expect to see this year, what companies might do and so forth. You know, let's do it. I, would, I wouldn't be shocked if we see fundraising slow down a little bit this year, especially for companies that had a pandemic bump, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that's probably going to mean slower growth plans, slower hiring plans, probably maybe a, a more limited marketing push and probably just a general retrenchment to a lower level of risk on tolerance from founders and their investors. That's kind of my guess. And that should show up in valuations, round sizes, you know, every, I think things just begin to slow down a little bit this year in aggregate, looking ahead based on the data points we have in Hopkins as an example. Other than layoffs, which I feel like are like this most obvious, tangible way to understand a changing of tides. Are there other, I guess, signs you're seeing that things are slowing down? Like, are we getting the numbers already or are we waiting for the numbers? It's a really great question. I think we're going to want to track the hottest companies from 2021 and do what we didn't do for Hopin and see if their fundraising cadence decelerates materially. I've mentioned AgentSync on the show a bunch because it's one of my favorite companies to track because it's doing a Hopin-like, kind of like rapid fundraising growthy thing. And also has a founding team that's willing to actually talk, which is a <laughs> lovely combination. Um, shout out to them. They're, they're great folks. And so like if, if companies like AgentSync get to like Q3 and okay. we've heard nothing. Okay. Data point. Now, yeah. on an individual basis, any single company could obviously just be quietly building and doing fine. But if, if that cohort is silent for a long period of time, that's going to be risky. And then also we might see consolidation in certain sectors that were very hot and now are probably seeing a, a demand slowdown. That could be a thing. And then also you could track job openings over time. Job openings front, I actually didn't even think about that. But that is always a great way to see if a company is just like backfilling or if they're actually like exploring like new product or like just doesn't like have those kind of roles on their website. I mean, a question I ask every interview is like, what was one thing you were, you've been wrong about in the past 12 months? <laughs> I and love it that you fun. ask interview questions on on an interview about a non-job. Like that's what you ask like a candidate. Like, I know. what was your biggest mistake in your last <laughs> job? What's your weakness? But you're doing it to a founder. That's great. <laughs> I'm like, tell, humble yourself in this moment. Before me, bow know, down. Please. But I mean, those questions are hit or miss. And then I also, I think we're going to see a lot of pivots. Interesting. Just like pivots huh. on pivots on pivots. Pivot's going to be a headline. That is what we're going to see because these companies that put all their eggs in one basket, they, could, they, they have always been saying that they're going to diversify. But the diversification, I think, came at the heart of maybe in Hoppin's case, the virtual offense 
are 110% the future. Now, maybe we'll see a little bit riskier diversification. Okay, I'm going to just try to put this into like concrete terms. Uh, You've covered uh, virtual HQs a lot. Yeah. So we might see virtual HQ companies pivot into games? Literally one happened like two months ago. A virtual no way. HQ company. Yeah, perfect. Yes. yes. I called it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, live predictions working out on the show does not happen enough. So like, let's take it's, a beat. It's, it's never happened before. It will never happen again. That's what you call a broken clock being right once in a decade. Um, I, I like the idea. Pivots are great. Diversification is also a very strong point. I'm also curious to see where people actually focus on their hiring. Because, you know, we had this moment of, of a pandemic kind of like diaspora, an exodus, if you will. And I, I wonder if as companies retrench a little bit, they become a little bit less tolerant of hiring people in different time zones. Because when you're mm. desperate to have more data scientists, you'll hire anybody anywhere. Like Poland. Yeah. Whatever. I don't even know what time zone Poland's in. I'm sure it's lovely. Far flung places. No, no disrespect to our Polish friends <laughs> out there. Y- we love yo, Poland. Y- On this podcast, Poland podcast. We're, we're pro-Poland, but we're not inter- integralists from the Catholic sense. So there you go. You probably want to hire closer to home. It's a little easier. And so that might show up in, in the labor market um, and so forth. So th- there's a lot of signals to look for. I just don't think we know yet how many companies that raised at aggressive valuations last year are going to end up needing to go all the way to the hardcore option, as you said, and cut staff, or if smaller things are going to be enough to kind of get them through a more difficult business period and a period in which investors are less likely to just throw money at them. We've seen on like a different scale in the beginning of the pandemic, what it's like for a startup to get a reality check and rebuild from that. We covered Toast together and Airbnb and like these two like behemoths of companies today were then when they were having their big layoffs and still are in a lot of ways. They just had to kind of make new bets. And so I'm kind of excited for like this new moment of like innovation for startups, even though it feels less like a boom and more like a recorrection. You know what? That's a really good point because it's going to be a killer moment for scrappy companies. Like if you're a scrappy company and you you didn't find favor <laughs> in the last year and a half while all your friends were raising nine figure rounds off of four figure ARR and you're kind of peevish about it. Well, suddenly you probably look great because your burn rate's very modest. You probably have a very durable business model. You just did an entire growth cycle out of favor. And now the world's kind of coming back to a slightly more center normal area. Probably looks great for you. So do me a favor and don't raise money and just keep all the money for yourself. Seriously, Woo. it's Retain weird. Retain that I, equity. I mean, I, know, I always feel it's one of two ways. Like I'm either like, if you're not announcing your funding, you are, are what's happening. Like you, this is a signal. But I'm also like these bootstrapped companies are probably so thankful to be bootstrapped in this moment. Like we've talked so much about like VC incentives and those especially feel tough in an environment where everyone's changing their mind. So yeah. it must be a great time to have ownership of your company. Ownership and just flat out revenues. You know what doesn't change with the seasons? Recurring revenue just kind of hums along. It's amazing. That's why yeah. it's so good. And you don't need to worry about if Kleiner Perkins currently has a thesis that includes your vertical. You know, you can just freaking build. <laughs> or if they like invest in your competitor, like there is no stress. You are yourself. And that is I, all. I thought we weren't going to make Andreessen Horowitz cryptocurrency startup jokes today <laughs> on the show. We just can't resist. We as an I, I feel like I'll make it every single day. <laughs> so anyways, uh, on that exact point, because Natasha brought it up, I of course wasn't going to broach this myself, but while we're on the subject of Andreessen Horowitz and cryptocurrencies, uh, I'm still giggling at the fact that coinbase's nft platform is still coming to fruition oh my god they called it so long ago speaking of ambitious bets but like how, how are they gonna make that work you see all the problems OpenSea is having with copyright i mean like good luck also you own parts of both companies oh maybe we smush those together maybe that's the consolidation we we're talking about bringing it back to the topic Ayo. there we go i was actually even gonna say like is coinbase one of the companies i want i guess i want to end on this 
in this topic roughly, which is like, okay. what are what sectors, cohorts, even companies by name if we're feeling spicy, should people be thinking about? We're not calling the end of any companies, but sh- who no. should they be thinking about are going to potentially be dealing with turbulence in the next few months? I have one answer to that. That is not my only answer, nor is it to pick unfairly upon any group. But what comes to mind is the companies that did very well during the consumer savings and investing boom of late mm. 2020 to 2021. Okay. Companies like Robinhood that saw a lot of accounts open, a lot of consumer interest in trading, and have since then kind of come back to earth a little bit. We've seen this in their numbers, and I think this reflects to a lot of companies in the market that are private. So there's a lot of fintech startups out there aimed at helping people save and invest. And I I think that they're going to be okay, but I don't know if they're going to be great. I assume the fintech money won't slow down. So what do you think will happen with the money? <laughs> I think it'll rotate a little bit. I, I, I think that most fintech money is going to start flowing increasingly to, well, I mean, start flowing increasingly to flow with a greater emphasis on B2B and infra and less on consumer facing options because Chime is huge. Yeah. How many more neobanks do we need? You know what I mean? But when it comes to building the the web that undergirds an evolving financial services sector in general, I bet there's still a lot of fat on that bone or meat, meat on that bone. Sure. Fat or meat, whatever you prefer. Rotation is a good concept to bring up because like, I think the question you asked just now, like, do we need more neobanks was like literally a story you wrote in like what, 2019? It's a story that I think like we have kind of talked about, but like the difference between now asking that question and then asking that question before it was like, who cares if we we, we don't need more neobanks? Yay, innovation. Everything's going to grow. Like, let's meet consumer demand. If consumer demand is no longer a non-negotiable, if consumer demand is going somewhere now, um, I feel like that question is actually going to be asked. It's not so, okay. I had totally forgotten about the 2019 neobank story, but Natasha's being very modest. It's actually something that we wrote together for oh, Crunchbase News entitled, well, Why is every startup a bank these days? There we go. Yeah. This was one of the last <laughs> things we wrote together before I quit. And then I came over here and then you came over here and now we're back together again. It's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> um, so hop in, shout out uh, for sharing all the stuff on your, on your way up. And uh, to everyone who lost their job, we of course send all of our condolences. And uh, here's to a very interesting year. I think yeah. it's going to be interesting regardless, but um, I just want to emphasize that we're not here cheering on anyone losing their job because no. that sucks for families and so forth. But we are going to be talking about this probably more. I mean, at the end of this episode where I'm feeling left is like, it's definitely a very different layoff environment than it was in March 2020. And rotation comes to mind, a rotation of how we think, how we invest, and like what we put money into and view as like growth signals. And then just like, yeah, recorrection, like a little bit of like conservatism in conversations. So hopefully we can like bring that to the show as we talk to founders. But like, I definitely think we're going to start seeing some phrases disappear and maybe more vulnerability show up in the next few months. Well, let's hope so. And I'm just going to make a small PSA for the future. So on the 25th, which is not this Friday, but the Friday afterwards, it's roughly the five-year anniversary of the show. And we also have a, an internal announcement. And so around the 25th, we're going to have an episode come out that's going to be uh, a little special, a little different. And uh, we're still kind of, I mean, literally we're taping it together right now. So like we haven't even figured out what's going to include yet, but that's yeah. coming up. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a big moment for the show. Like it's a moment of transition and we have been doing this for millions of downloads in five years. And I am in awe of the fact that we still get to do it, but it'll be a fun little moment to mark, but that's not for a while. So let's go.
Yeah, no, and and thank you to everyone who continues to listen. Like these, the the shows titles have like been such a roller coaster for since the pandemic started, and since like it, it is the team it is right now. So we know that there's been a lot of like great changes, and you've been experiencing this whirlwind with us. So hopefully, we can be your numbers and nuance behind the headlines consistently. <laughs> Anyways, that is a wrap, Alex. Thank you so much for talking through the Hopin news in a broader context with me, and we will see everyone else on. Friday. Hey everyone, this is Lucas Matney. And I'm Anita Ramaswamy. We're launching a new TechCrunch podcast called Chain Reaction, digging into the world of cryptocurrencies, NFTs, and Web3. Crypto has captured the attention of some of Silicon Valley's most influential investors and founders who are hyping it as the future of the internet. But it's a controversial vision and one still dominated by scams, heists, and infighting unfolding block by block. Each week, we'll unpack and explain the latest news, drama, and trends in plain English for the crypto curious. We'll be learning alongside you by interviewing some of the savviest investors, entrepreneurs, and skeptics along the way. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast app to keep up with the action. We'll see you soon.